we're going to continue in our study of Jude today. And, you know, I've struggled with how to title this message. And, you know, titles are and aren't important sometimes. But I always like to put a title on a message because it kind of gives me a framework to go from. And quite often I'll have to do the whole message and then come back and put a title on it. <laughs> and sometimes I'll start with a title and build a message from a title. You know what I'm talking about, Rip, if you've, or Leland as pastors. You just you kind of work with the Spirit sometimes. But the, um, the title of this message, if I had to put one on it, would either be Learning from History, Learning from History, or I could title it, It's Not How You Start, It's How You Finish. So either way, um, I hope and I pray that this will make sense to us. That screen's not on. That's why I wasn't sure what was happening here. So we're going to learn from history today. And um, I know that some messages are really easy for us to preach and listen to, and some message, messages aren't so easy. This is one of those messages that isn't so easy uh, for me to preach, nor maybe for you to listen to. But I, I pray that the Lord gets out of it what he wants to come out of it um, because we have to preach what's in God, what is in God's word. Amen? I mean, I'm not cherry-picking passages here that I can, the easy ones. So we're going to preach through it and we're going to preach through it all as faithfully as we can. It's interesting that what I find that Judah's beginning with here is that history often if not always, repeats itself. Think about it. History repeats itself. And so why is that important for us to understand that? Because when I can learn from history, when I can learn from someone else's poor choices and see the consequences that they've gone through because of the choices they've made, if I can learn from that, I can avoid a lot of unnecessary ones of my own. Shame of me. How silly of me if I don't. And so for that reason, I, I want to go back and learn biblical history so that I can understand where it might be going for me or for this church or for the age that we're living in. So that's what Jude is indicating here as well as we read this passage. So we're going to do a lot of reading today, so bear with me. If you have a Bible with you, then open it to the book of Jude. It's right after 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, then Revelation. And it, it's interesting why Jude is placed between two different writings from the Apostle John. John wrote 1, 2, and 3 J John, and then he also wrote, wrote the book of Revelation. And we all know what the book of Revelation about is. It's an ap apocalyptic book, and it's about the revelation of Jesus. And quite Frankly, it's about the end times. It's about what the world is going to be going through as, as, it, as the end of time comes. And then, uh, so Jude is right before it, and it seems interesting that Jude, in its warnings towards false teachers and warnings towards things that would be distorting God's word, why that would be right in front of the last book of the Bible, I think is kind of interesting. So open your book, open your Bible to the book of Jude. We're going to read verses 5 through 16. And it was too much to put on your paper, so you're going to either have to read it in your Bible or read it on the screen with me. So Jude chapter 5, I'm sorry, Jude verse 5, because there's no chapters. Jude verse, verse 5. This is out of the New Living Translation. So Jude says, so I want to remind you, 
though you already know these things, that Jesus rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. It's interesting here, Jude starts off by saying, I want to remind you of something that you already know. So this isn't new information for them. You already know this, the writers or the readers of, of Jude's book are, and basically so do we, all right? So you already know this. And then verse 6, and he says, And I want to remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of, authority, of God's authority that he gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people... Now, these people that he's talking about are the false teachers of his day. In the same way, these people, these false teachers, who claim authority from their dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. Verse 9. But, it, but even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. These people, again, are the false teachers. These people scoff at things they don't understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and they so bring about their own destruction. Verse 11, what sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother, like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they, par they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with you in their fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead. For they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. Verse 13, they are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people, these false teachers. And he said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. Let's pray. Father, this is a lot of meat here. And I pray that you would help us to discern it. I pray that you would help us to digest it. I pray that you would just reveal to us what you would have us to take away from this today. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Jude is reminding the people 
of something they already know. This is not new information for them. They know the stories. And why this is important is this, because ignorance is not bliss. You've heard the saying, ignorance is bliss. Well, it's not. And when it comes to godly spiritual principles, when we stand before God someday, as we all will, he will not give you a buy because you didn't read your Bible. Can I say that again to here and those watching? You will not, God will not say, well, you didn't have time to read your Bible, so I'm not going to hold you accountable to it. That is not biblical. Ignorance is not bliss. Information is necessary because with information, we then can process things well, and then we can live well, and we can learn well, and we can apply well, and we can be received well by our Father in heaven. You have to recognize that these people in Jude's day did not have the Bible. They did not have it written like you have it, that you can open it up like this, and it's organized well. It's, it's right after First and Second and Third John. It's right before Revelation. No, what they were studying from was scrolls of Old Testament teaching. And it was the writing of Jude and, 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 and John and uh, Peter and Paul, the apostles, that were declaring the Bible. But yet, God still held them accountable for what they were taught in the Torah or in the Old Testament writings. So even more so than how God is going to hold us accountable because we have the written Bible. It's the most popular book in the world. It is the best-selling book ever and uh, for all time. More, there are more Bibles printed than any other book. Not only that, but it's on the Internet. <laughs> it's widely available. We have no reason not to be aware of these things. We have no reason for us to be ignorant. And if you're not reading the Bible and if you're not studying the Bible, then you're ignorant and you have no reason to be before God. And I'm just telling you, folks, this is plain information that we need to recognize. If you're not a Bible reader, you need to be one. If you say, well, I don't understand it, okay, get a commentary. There are really good Bibles that are easy to read, and I use a lot of different translations when I preach to try to bring it clear and open and, and make it very obvious. But let me just encourage you to get your Bible out. If you have it, if it's sitting in your, in your house someplace, and if it's dust covered, get the dust off it and get it out and read it. Amen? Can I stress that anymore? So important that we read the Bible. Okay. Like I said earlier, history repeats itself. And the more we know and the more we understand, the better prepared we are not to let history repeat in our lives and not for us to bear the same consequences for them. So as we go through this, we're going to see Jude speaking here very clearly about history. He starts off speaking in triplets of examples so that it's even more clear what he's saying. He starts off saying that basically it's, it's not how one starts, it's how one finishes that matters. That's a great principle. And that gives me great hope for me and for you because you may have started very poorly. You may have started in a way that you don't, don't even feel you qualify. But that's okay because God doesn't call the qualified. He equips the called. 
So whatever you are standing against right now or facing in your life, recognize that God is there to help you finish strong and help you finish well, no matter how you started. Never too late to start. Amen? Never too late to start. He uses three examples. The first example that he uses, or the first two, are he uses people groups. One people group is Jewish, and one people group is non-Jewish. And then he also talks about angels. Interesting that he's using examples from these different groupings of people. The Jewish people were Israelites that were delivered from Egypt. Hear me. These people were delivered from 400 years of bondage. They were delivered from bondage. They were set free to, to go into the promised land. But there's a long story that we don't have time to go into to what happened when they got in the desert, when they actually, when they actually enjoyed their freedom, that many of them rejected it. Many of them fell back. And as a result, God destroyed them. God destroyed them. Okay, that's one group. The angels that we talk about, these were angels that were in heaven, created as heavenly beings, and they as well have free choice. The difference between the free choice and the consequences of angelic beings and the free choice and consequences of human beings is that Jesus died for humans, but he did not die for angels. So when the angels rebel, they have no hope or they have no future hope. The angels that fell with Satan so many years ago, there are some that are roaming the earth today, and those are demons. They're fallen angels, and they've taken on the, the, the form of evil to the point now they're, they're demonic beings. And like an angel is given to be a, a ministering servant to us from God, a demon is, is created, or now they fall into the point where they are. They're our nemesis. They are out to destroy us. And then there were angels... And I don't know fully why. The Bible doesn't understand or doesn't give understanding, but some angels were so badly fallen that God put them in hell or put them in bondage waiting for their judgment because they were too evil to be put in, on earth. It's amazing how angelic beings that were created and lived in heaven in perfection could be deceived by Satan, who was an angel himself as well. He was Lucifer, probably the greatest angel that God ever created. And he had a pride issue that developed. And he not only deceived himself, but he deceived a third of the angels in heaven. And they fell, and some of them are reserved for darkest darkness, as this example is talked about. And then there are those that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And these people were destroyed by fire and brimstone due to immorality and sexual sin. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Why the mix? Why the mix? Well, I think it's important that we recognize that deception can come on all types. I can be deceived. I mean, pastors can easily be deceived, can't we? We have to be careful. We have to be careful how we read God's word, that we don't take it out of context, that we don't take a passage that we like and we emphasize that one over this one that we make it sound like we are, you know, all the good and all the remnant over here and all the bad over there, and we don't want to talk about the bad, so we, uh, we ignore that part. You know what that's called? That's called deception. 
and it's called false teaching. And the judgments that, we re- that we're reading about here are for a lot of so-called pastors that are not teaching God's word. You can be deceived. If angels can be deceived, then you can be deceived. You might think you're right. You might have a solid foundation, so you think. But the only way you know you have a solid foundation is by reading the Bible. If you're not a Bible reader, I'm going back to that. I'm going to hop on that one for a minute again. If you're not a Bible reader, then how do you know what you know is true? How do you know? What are you basing it on? Your feelings? Your, your desires? Your want to? Your conception that God is, God is a God of love and a God of love would never do anything bad or never allow anything bad to happen to me and when I die, all of a sudden, I'm going to be turned into an angelic saint just because I am? Read the Bible. Deception comes on all kinds of people no matter who we are and that is why we need to have a solid biblical foundation. Why did Jude feel it was necessary to bring this up? Well, because God made people, God made these three examples to be examples of God's judgment so that we now could learn from that and that we can hopefully learn from history here and learn that we don't have to fall into that same type of error of of what they were fallen or known for. But even with that, even with that, Jude is indicating and he's saying that the people of Jude's day were still doing the same things. I want to read Jude 8 through 10, but I want to read this time in the contemporary English version, a, little diff- a different version. Listen to what Jude's, how this translation says this. Jude 8 through 10. It says, the people I am talking about, the false teachers I'm talking about, are behaving just like those dreamers who destroyed their own bodies. They reject all authority and insult angels. Even Michael, the chief angel, didn't dare to insult the devil when the two of them were arguing about the body of Moses. All Michael said was, the Lord will punish you. But these people, these people that are much less than an angel, let alone Michael, the archangel, these people insult powers they don't know anything about. They are like senseless animals that end up getting destroyed because they live by their, say it, feelings. Because they live by their feelings. Remember, we're talking about either believers that once knew or fallen angels or non-believers that are living among the true believers with the intent of destroying them. We have to recognize how evil sin is. Sin is not a petting zoo. (laughs) You're in the cage with a roaring lion when you're in sin. Sin is out to destroy. And we can learn a lot when we understand what it means to understand spiritual authority when it comes to sin. And when it comes to even respecting the fact that Michael, the archangel, respected sin in the life of the enemy and Satan, 
that he knew that he didn't have the power. Michael, the archangel, did not have the power to curse Satan. Only God does. So recognizing that, he understood the authority that he was under to say, I'm not going to curse you, Satan, because I don't have the authority to, but, my, but God does. Therefore, he says, God will judge you, Satan. The Lord will punish you, Satan, not me. But the people of the day were saying, nah, I can have that power. I can have that authority. Deception. These people were destroyed for their feelings. And I want to talk about this for a minute because this is really important for our day today. People are destroyed because they are living by their feelings. Listen, feelings are good. I'm not saying they're bad. God created us with emotions and he created us with feelings. And that's one of the unique things about what makes me different than a dog or a cat. Now, they have feelings too, but not the way I have feelings. Their feelings are based on instincts. I mean, they're just inside them. They're hungry, they feel hungry. It's an instinct to eat. I have the feeling, I, I mean, I have the ability to control my feelings that when I'm hungry, I want to eat, but I eat healthy food. <laughs> I don't eat Cheetos, even though I love Cheetos. Well, I do sometimes. I, I can't, I do. In fact, I have a bag in my car, just so you know. I, I mean, guilty. But I hide them from Chris. They're in the back seat. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. She'll go get them. But we shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> so I'm preaching to myself right now. Don't eat the Cheetos, Mike. Eat something. Eat carrots. They're still orange. They look just like a Cheeto. <laughs> but feelings are good. And being in touch, Jackie, what do you got? M&M's. Put them away, Jack. Come on now. Feelings are good, but we understand that we need to not let feelings take over our lives. See, the world would make feelings their God. The Bible says that a man's stomach is his God, right? That he wants to do whatever he would to please himself because his feelings are so important that if I don't feel right, if I don't feel good, it must not be good because we base everything on our feelings. And if we're not reading the what? The Bible, what are we basing our feelings on? Do you see how easily we can slip down into a world of deception because we're basing our life on our feelings? So this raises the question, are feelings the ultimate factor in the, direct, in the decisions that we make? We make decisions every day, don't we? And some decisions can be made on our feelings. I get it. But the major decisions in life, do we just make them based upon how we feel about it? See, it's becoming a very real problem in our society that we are promoting one's feelings above godly principles in the important areas of decision. Government, even medical, I mean socially, every area is based on our feelings. Let me give you an example. This is a direct quote from the website www.childline.org.uk. And I want you, as I read this, I want you to read, I want you to read, I want you to notice how many times you hear the word feel, felt, or feels 
like as I'm reading this article. And this is an article on transgenderism. I'll tell you right now, it's, and it's to children. It's childline.org in the UK. Let me read this. Transgender describes people who feel that the sex they were assigned at birth doesn't match how they feel inside. For example, someone who, who was born as a girl but has always felt like a boy. We're here to give you help and support if you need it. <laughs> okay. Let me continue on. Being transgender or trans is when someone feels that their gender identity is different from the gender they were given at birth. Trans people might feel like they're in the wrong body and that their genitals don't match how they feel. They want to change their clothes to better match the gender they identify, identify with or feel like. And they're scared about telling people about how they feel. And then it, end, it fit, might end a quote here. It's important to do what feels right for you. That's just one example. You can go on and search the, you can search the, the, the internet and you can find out so many more articles about how one feels and how we are to live a life based upon our feelings. And if it doesn't feel good, then don't do it. Or if it feels good, do it. I mean, you can talk about it when it comes to marriage, when it comes to, um, um, you know, obviously all kinds of sin. Uh, it just does, it goes on and on and on. And, and when you start making feelings your God, then you are ripe or if maybe you're already fully deceived. It's a big problem. So Judah's making the comparison that it's, that it's like dumb animals that people are basing their life upon like that that use their feelings to dictate their life choices. God help us that we would understand that the reason that we have God's word is to give us wisdom and godly counsel on how we deal with our feelings based upon God's factual, scientific, biological truths. Why is that important? Because the devil dwells in the realms of feelings. That's where he lives. He's an expert in twisting our feelings to match his evil agenda leading us all to eternal death. I mean, that's how he destroys us. The devil doesn't come to you normally as a roaring lion. He comes to you in the inner feelings that you have in your mind. He comes subtly so many times in the way you feel about things. He lives and dwells in the realm of feelings. So we need to understand that and understand how important it is that we can have a solid foundation called the Bible that we go to that when our feelings are running astray, we go back to the Bible to find out what does the Bible say about it and then get our feelings in check, take control of what's going on up here and base it on God's word and then let, let that then dictate our, our emotional feelings and let that be, dictate our, our, our actions. You must understand here, I want to say one thing, that I am not bashing people. This is not a people bashing element here that people that are living in blatant sin. I mean, we, you know, the enemy will take it as soon as we start talking about LGBTQ or all these things, we are automatically a homophobe and we're, 
angry and we're evil and we're the problem. No, I'm not angry and I'm not evil and I'm not bashing these people, but I am recognizing sin is sin. It doesn't make any difference what kind of sin it is. It's sin. There is no sin worse than another sin. So whether or not it's that or it's something else, it's something that we must take control of and be accountable for and be responsible for. And so now what happens? How do I go to a person that isn't living in obvious sin? How do I deal with them? How do I help them? Well, Paul writes to the Galatians, and he tells us. He says in Galatians chapter 6, the first two verses, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful here, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You see how easily we can be deceived? So Paul is saying, as you help someone in their sin, be careful that you're not being tempted with something similar. Verse 2, share with each other's burdens, and in, and in this way, you're obeying the law of Christ. So we should gently and humbly help someone that is in a known sinful pattern of life, of living. We need each other. We need to be accountable to each other. Yet, let me, re let me important, this is important, it's not all about us. It's not about me, and it's not about you, because the next verse that Paul says in Galatians 6, 3, he says, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important at all. <laughs> I mean, talk about setting us right where we need to be, we need to recognize that who we are, but it's not who we are. It's who Christ is in us that gives us the ability to gently and humbly bring someone back on the same path that hopefully we're living on. So we need to keep our feelings about ourselves in check as well. We don't let ourselves get puffed up or prideful in any way. And we could go on and on talking about feelings. I mean, feelings are, we could talk for a long time. But Jude goes now into another example of threes. He says, Jude 11, he says, What sorrow awaits these god ungodly people? He says, For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. Now, I want to take the next few minutes and I want to look at these three men. Because you probably don't know them. You might heard of, you probably have heard of Cain, Cain and Abel. And what did Cain do? He killed his brother. All right, so Cain was the first murderer. Abel was the firstborn. Cain was the secondborn. And Cain, through jealousy, murdered his brother. So on your paper, you can write Cain and then just write murderer. All right. Balaam, again, you don't know who Balaam is. We're going to talk about him in a minute. But he's known for greed. So write greed next to Balaam. And then Korah is known for rebellion. So write rebellion next to Korah. None of these were really popular men. These are not real, uh, what we would call heroes of the Bible. <laughs> but, we can, but we can learn a lot from them. All right. So what do we learn from Cain? I think, first of all, we know the story that they were Adam and Eve's first children and that Cain killed Abel. Why did he kill Abel? What, did, what was his point? Why did he do it? So turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. 
Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought in offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Here's, listen to this. So important. Maybe you didn't understand that God had spoken to Cain this way. But if you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So we know the story, but I don't think we knew that God had this conversation necessarily with Cain because Cain was given fair warning not to do what's in your heart, Cain. Remember, God sees the heart of a man. He knew what was in heart, Cain's heart, and he tried to stop him. He tried to say, listen, Cain, if you would just do what's right, then you won't have jealousy. You won't have this greed or you won't have this, this, this feeling of anger in your life. God spoke to Cain before he killed him, and yet Cain still did the evil act. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Now, from the very beginning, sin is always a choice. Always a choice. You may not be a murderer, but you may feel like it. You may not be a sexual pornographer, pornographer is stuck in that world, but you may have feelings like it. You, you, might, you may allow your mind to go there when you have to, when you are in those realms of going there in your mind, what the Bible says, and you are actually being like one. If you think about, if you look at your brother with hate, then indeed you are a murderer in your mind, all right? So we have to recognize this, and we know that sin is crouching at the door always to take control if we allow it. So from, so, so from Cain, we learn how we must control our mind. We must not allow sin to creep in that way. What do we learn from Balaam? Now, Balaam is a man that probably we don't know much about, but Balaam was not a Jew, but he was a prophet. And an evil king called Balak came to uh, Balaam, and he wanted to hire Balaam to, th to curse Israel because er Israel was growing and very strong, and Balak was an evil king, and Israel was coming against Balak and his kingdom, and they were going to destroy him. So he wanted to hire Balaam to cast a curse on the Israelites so that they could not destroy Balak's kingdom. But every time Balaam went to do it, God intervened, and instead of cursing, he blessed Israel. Three times that happened. So, and, and God was, I mean, Balak was trying to pay uh, Balaam to curse him, and Balak just couldn't do it. But it didn't stop him from completing the deed at the end. Greed still prevailed in Balaam's heart because Balaam defeated the Israelites in a different way. And to see that, let's turn to Revelations chapter 2. You can read that whole account if you wanted to in Numbers chapter 25. I would encourage you to go back to Numbers later today and read that whole account on Balaam. But Revelations chapter 2 verse 14, this is Jesus speaking to the church in Pergamum. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. 
There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Balaam was able to be bought. Greed arose in Balaam that he wanted his own desires met more than the warnings of God to not curse or not to entice Israel and influence them. And so he did. And so li- listen to my Bible, Carmen. This is important. The Bible uh, commentary that I read about this says this about Balaam. Read along with me. Balaam was a false prophet of the Old Testament that sold his services to an ungodly king and advised the Midianite women how to tempt the Israelites to compromise their faith by idolatry and immoral behavior. For this reason, Balaam represents corrupt and deceptive teachers or preachers who lead or influence God's people to compromise with worldly beliefs and behaviors for all for the sake of selfish interests or personal advancement. The church at Pergamum evidently had teachers that taught spiritually saving faith and an immoral lifestyle were compatible. We must ask ourselves, could our outward testimony for Christ be threatened by inwardly compromising the truth? How easy it is for power-hungry people, pastors, teachers, leaders, to unconsciously, at least at first, to make little compromises here and there to gain popularity, to gain financial gain, to make them more easier to listen to, to give them an increased power base. And before you know it, Satan's deception has settled into them and they are fully deceived because they've already gone down that path. It comes in little things that becomes bigger and bigger slowly until it's too late and the ministry is destroyed or the people are destroyed. So greed was Balaam's issue that Juba's talking about. Let's talk about Korah real quickly. Korah is probably the least known and his example is probably one of the, but yet it's one of the most common in the church today. And he's talking about rebellion. Rebellion, subtle rebellion against godly authority in God's word. Korah was a Levite. He was of the tribe of the priests. And he and all of Israel were delivered from Egypt, but they grew tired of Moses' leadership. So Korah gathered three other like-minded men and 250 others, and they came to Moses to rebel. And this is the story in Numbers chapter 16. It says, Korah, son of Izar, was a Levite from the, from the uh, Koholite t- clan, clan. One day he called together Dathan, Abram, and An from the Reuben tribe, and the four of them decided to rebel against Moses. So they asked 250 respected Israelite leaders for their support. And together they went to Moses and Aaron and said, Why do you think you're so much better than anyone else? We're part of the Lord's holy people, and he's with all of us. What makes you think you are the only ones in charge? When Moses heard this, he knelt down to pray. Or in another translation, it says, Moses fell face downward to the ground in great sorrow. 
That's important for a minute. We'll come back to that point in a minute. But this account goes on to say that, that truly God was the man, Moses was the man that God selected to, to lead Israel out of Egypt. But these men had issues with that, and they had rebellion settling into their hearts. Korah and the men thought that they themselves could decide who would lead the people. But God made it perfectly clear that he was in charge because if you read the account, what happened here, I'm going to just give you a 30-second version. What happened is that they had dialogue together and God said, okay, let's kind of put a plan here. If God is for them, God will protect them and they will live, a nat- live out a natural life. If God is not for them, if God is for me, then God will destroy them immediately. And so as when they said that, what happened was that the ground actually opened up and the, the tents of all these three leaders, these four leaders, these four Levite tribes, was swallowed up under the ground, and they were consumed alive underground. And the 250 men that were with them, God sent fire and burned them all up. So God was serious about this, and he took immediate action to prove to the people that Moses was the leader. S- tried to squelch all the rebellion. So what does this mean today? It means today that in a New Testament church, God decides the type of people who serve as overseers in a church. He has a set of certain standards for those who desire to serve. When church members ignore God's standards or for pastors and choose leadership without regard for God's word, they are following the same rebellious attitude of Korah. Leadership must be based on God's revealed will for his church. It's the temptation to rebel against God's truth by saying, we can do it better on our own, and in our own way. You know what this is describing? A family owned and operated church. And we, we know what that's like, don't we, Rip? And I don't, I'm not going to go down there any further on that path. However, that does put a lot of responsibility, though, on those that God calls, and also for the leaders of the church to make sure that they're calling godly people to be in leadership. It puts a great responsibility on those that are in leadership. This is not a topic to be taken lightly. The Bible says that when Moses heard this, he fell face downward to the ground. Let me tell you what that means. That's why, why is that so important? Moses understood how serious this was for Korah and the other leaders to oppose him in their rebellion against his leadership because Moses understood his role. Moses, let me just say, and if you read the account, you'll know that it wasn't Moses' idea to be the leader. It wasn't his plan. In fact, when God called him at the burning bush to go back and deliver Israel, Moses said, no, I'm not the guy. I can't do it, God. And God said, Moses, you're my chosen one. I'm going to go, I'm going to be with you to do it. So Moses went obediently, but it wasn't Moses' idea. So now when he is confronted with this, he has to look back at it and say, God, this wasn't my idea. It's your idea that I'm in leadership. So now, God, it's up to you to defend me, not himself. And that's very important for us to know because Moses could have taken a very haughty and prideful position here. He could have put it in his own terms, and he could have taken control of the responsibility and, and really um, stood against these men. But instead, what he did is he fell to the ground face down 
in sorrow because he knew what was coming to Korah. He knew what, how God would deal with them. The point here for us is that when you find yourself in a situation where someone stands against you or it's revealed to you that there is outward sin in someone's life and God is appointing you to be into that person's life that's going to be that revelator, how do you do it? So important here is that if it doesn't hurt you, if it doesn't hurt you to have to say what needs to be said, then don't say it. If it doesn't hurt you to be the truth teller in a person's life, then don't say it because you're not the person to say it. It caused Moses great pain. He fell on his face as in sorrow because he knew he was going to have to say to, to Korah, guys, I'm not, it's not my idea. I'm just being obedient to God. And it caused him sorrow. So when we confront people or have the purpose or the, the point that if I'm doing it and if it doesn't cause me pain, then I'm probably going to do it out of anger or out of my own pride. Therefore, th those are times to walk away. Now, if it does cause you great sorrow, then pray about it and humbly and carefully go to that person and say, can I help you in this area? God has revealed some things to me or it's obvious to, to all of us that maybe you're walking in some areas that aren't true. Can we talk about that? That hurts me to even have to say it. But I feel like I must because I'm just loving you. I'm showing you how much I love you by being willing to tell you the truth, right? That's a big, big encourager for us how to deal with this because we need to have a humble heart, properly and painfully humble if we're going to be used that way in a person's life. Jackie, would you come and help me close this down a little bit? Because this is a tough one to end. I'm not sure how to end this message today because there's really no ending here. Because these examples could go on and on and on as we could talk about how we are to be used productively in the kingdom this way. But I do think it's very appropriate for us to appreciate how much God loves us. It's only because God loves us with a jealous love that he's so concerned about deceptive teaching because he doesn't want anything to come in that would distort or twist his loving word for you and I, even if it's a hard word. Can I say that? Even if it's a hard word. And why do I say that? Because God proves his love through a zeal to protect his children. He's that mama bear, if you will. He sees his little cubs being offended, being potentially destroyed, and that mama bear in Jesus comes up and he says, no, no, not to my children. You're not touching my children that way. And so therefore he, com he comes very aggressive in his protection for his people, and that's love, and we should appreciate that. Secondly, he watches over our lives with a holy discipline so that we don't fall into the same traps. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 8. It says, Let God train you, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. Whoever heard of a son who was never corrected, if God doesn't punish you when you need it, <laughs> as other fathers punish their sons, then it means that you aren't really God's son at all. 
that you really don't belong to his family. And then skip down to verse 10. Our earthly fathers trained us for a few brief years, doing the best for us that they knew how. But God's correction is always right and for our best good that we may share in his holiness. Being punished isn't enjoyable while it is happening. It hurts. But afterwards, we can see the result, a quiet growth in grace and character. And then he finishes off in verse 28. Since we have a kingdom nothing can destroy, let us please God by serving him with thankful hearts and with holy fear and awe. That's how I'm going to end this today. That we have a responsibility to be producers in the kingdom by reading the Bible, understanding what truth is, and then standing for it, no matter what it costs us. Ignorance is not bliss in the kingdom. We need to examine our hearts and be sure that we're washed in the blood of Jesus. And then we honor God by showing him how much we love him, by obeying him, by taking his word serious, living it out, applying it in our lives. Listen, let me just end it this way, guys. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. This is not a time to be playing games. This is not a time to be saying, I'll wait until then, because Jesus is coming soon. We're talking about that on Wednesday nights. I really encourage you to come out on Wednesday nights. We're talking about the end times. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about current events. We're talking about the things that are leading us all to the fact that biblical prophecy is happening right before us. And again, ignorance is not bliss. We need to know what's happening. We need to know how to live in this time. So I'm encouraging you to come out on Wednesday nights and learn with us how close we are. How close we are to the end times. We are in it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word today. And I thank you, Lord, that you've enabled us to get through a relatively hard passage. This is mature teaching today. This is meat of God's word. This is not, this is not milk. This is the meat of God's word. And for some, it's really hard to embrace. But I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just reveal to us the truths that we would take away today. Help us all to be hungry for your word. Help us all to have a desire to read your word today. That we would go home and get out our Bibles and start to read what you have to say. And I pray that we would live it. And I pray that we would please you. And that we would be honored by you. And I just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you will. To the river I am going Bringing sins I cannot bear Come and cleanse me Come forgive me Lord, I need to meet you Whoa.
Father, let us do that right now. Father, take us by our hand and lead us into your river of, of faithfulness. Liver, it's your river of forgiveness. And then forgetfulness that we will learn on from that and move forward, I pray. I pray blessings on your people today that we would go to our homes and our places of, of living and work this week, that we would bear you up and that we would learn truth and be productive in the kingdom. I pray this message would settle into our hearts today and worship would just flow out of us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Be blessed today. It's a good day. Be blessed.